I wrote a book about my life named Moguldom. You can get more information about this book at moguldombook.com. I talk about acquiring a knowledge of self, self-determination, and building a business over 10 years. There are some gems in this book that you don't want to miss. One way to support the Go movement in this podcast is to go to moguldombook.com, buy the book on pre-sale to support the Go movement. Let's go. You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. This is part two of the interview. Let's go. I guess in terms of the Google piece, the way that happened was, uh, so with Google, there's, there's actually, you can be online searching for something, and if you're searching for something that's like very techy or code related in a certain order, Google will go completely black and will ask you if you want to take a challenge. And so I was looking up something called dependency inversion, which is a, which is a, it's a, it's a paradigm you can use in technology. Hold up. You're talking, went black. Are, are you talking about <laughs> at the browser search level, yeah. you're searching for tech coding stuff. Yeah. Google will prompt you for something that Google the wants. The whole screen will turn black. And it will say, we like what you're searching for. Do you want to take a challenge? That's creepy. Uh, so, so, so what ha- so it's happened? It's called foobar. So that's not, that's not private information. Yeah. But, but um, you know, me being an engineer, I can never turn down a challenge. So I said yes. And uh, I went on to do that. I completed about five levels of it. And at that point, a recruiter reached out. And so um, that's when I was presented with the opportunity. And, you know, based on what Google's doing in artificial intelligence, I thought it was a great fit. So Google's... Part of their recruiting strategy is they're using your search browser information to help their recruiting, to identify yeah. potential applicants. Yeah, if you're searching for specific things in technology, um, they'll reach out to you directly from the from the website itself. Okay, got it. And did you know that the tech companies do that? Or I had Google no does idea. That? No, no, I didn't know okay. that at all. You complete the challenge, the recruit, you're talking to the recruiter. Talk about the, re- the interview process. Yeah, so um, part of the interview process was that challenge. So being able to get through five levels of that um, was part of it. And after that, a, um, uh, a recruiter contacted me, and then we set up a phone screen. And so on the phone screen, you know, they asked me various algorithmic questions and things like that. And um, I did pretty well on that. And so shortly after, they invited me to interview on site. Um, I went on site, and it was another kind of like eight hours, nine hours of interviewing. And uh, it was pretty challenging, but it was good. And then I got the offer. For a entry-level engineer at Apple or Google, software engineer, how much are we talking for the, for the audience in terms of compensation? What are the ranges for entry-level uh, engineer? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I'm level five. Okay, but... Let's say before we get there, what's the entry level? Like, hey, I want to get into coding. Yeah, I would, I, say, coding. I would say you're looking at, you know, just industry-wide. I won't yeah. talk specifically about Google, but industry-wide, you're looking at about six figures, maybe. Um, I'd say on the industry average for entry level, maybe 120. 120. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then for entry level, how many years of experience? Uh, like, you know, hey, I want to pivot to becoming an engineer how long do I need to kind of study and practice full time before I'm ready to go get that six figure right. you know, engineering job uh, one on of the, average? One yeah. of the things I love about the technology industry is um, 
and I'm, I'm biased here because I'm an engineer, but like when I talk to some of my friends who interview at companies in other industries, I can't understand how the decision gets made. You know, it's kind of like you have conversations and there's certain exercises you do, but it's not very quantifiable. Whereas in engineering, it's literally, here's the problem on the board. Yeah. Can you do the problem? Yeah. So that's actually kind of nice because it means you might have no experience, but if you know how to do that algorithm, you have a chance of getting a job. And so I really like that about tech. But don't you need to have an understanding of specific coding languages or no? No. Nothing about the interview process in any company that I've interviewed at has, has a specific language requirement. It's much more abstract. It's much more fundamental concepts. And you're expected to be able to do that in every language or any language that you're, you're faced with. So you, you don't necessarily need to be coding in a language for six months to to get a job at Apple or Google. Yeah, in fact, that, that's, that's counterproductive. So, so yeah. to get a job in, in one of these places, and again, I can't speak specifically for, for Apple or Google, but just in general, um, it's, it's less about the specific language. So if you were to come in and say, well, you know, I'm very, very good at this one language called Python, that wouldn't go that far. What would go much further is if you say, I have a fundamental, a fundamental understanding of computer programming, which I can apply to any language, and I'm, and I'm able to ramp up on any language very quickly. Uh, when you work at these companies, you're expected to learn a language on the fly. So if you come in and you only know Python, but the project is in Ruby, you're expected to learn Ruby as you go. It's not, there's okay. no time for it. Okay, got yeah. it. And you taught yourself coding game, of course, at an early age. For the audience out there, where would you point them to where, hey, I, I want to make a pivot in my career. I want to learn. I want to be an engineer. You know, what tools or resources online would you recommend? Yeah, um, I think everybody's different. You know, now, now there's all these great online uh, websites you can use to learn coding. Um, I haven't had much experience with those. I like books. Like books. I just like yeah. getting a hard copy and working through the book. And, like, give me a sample title of what book that would kind of... Yeah, so, be relevant so one book I'm reading now is called Deep Learning in Python. Um, the first book I ever bought was called uh, Sam's Teach Yourself C in 24 Hours. There are a lot of great kind of self, uh, self-learning guides for coding. But in general, just for me, I, I like the hard copy, but I don't know if that works for everybody. I think some people would prefer some of the online experiences. Yeah. But that's just my preference. For the, the, the audience... You know, you talk about hacking where, you know, when I mention hacking, a lot of people thinks, you know, they think uh, that it has a negative connotation. But can Absolutely. you broaden that definition for the audience in terms of another way to think about hacking? Yeah. So in, in general, I think the public perception of hacking is, is pretty negative. Yeah. But in the industry, um, it's really another term for just an expert computer, um, you know, enthusiast. Uh, for example, Facebook is located on Hacker Way. That's the yeah. name of the street that it's on. Um, and Facebook's not a criminal organization, to my knowledge, right? Yeah. But um, so the thing about hacking is you have to be so good at computers to pull one of these things off. Yeah. That in order to get in that space, you almost have to be an expert level computer scientist, you know, science researcher anyway. So there's this kind of culture blend where even if there are people who do malicious things in hacking, they must be talking to people that are doing good things because the knowledge base is shared anyway. Um, so I think, yes, there are bad people out there who use this information in bad ways, but there's also a lot of people who do what's called penetration testing, where they do research 
on exploits on operating systems that protect us because they report the issues when they find them. And technically, those people are, are hackers, too, because they're actually uh, one step ahead of the criminals that want to use those things. What are the stakes for black America if we do not ramp up uh, our appetite and curiosity on technology within the culture in terms of, you know, inequality yeah. and competition and, you know, the wealth gap, you know, talk about the stakes that, hey, if we don't get more people like you out there yeah. and we don't scale that, what are the, the, the stakes and potential consequences as a, as a people? Yeah, so there's a lot of research out there, uh, out there right now um, about what's called data biasing. And so... Um, a lot of what's going on and what's exciting about the computer space right now is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, that's all based on training models using huge amounts of data. And if that data already has bias in it, then the models that we create will also be biased. Um, so essentially, you know, if we live in a system that is already oppressing uh, a certain uh, group, and then we train artificial intelligent models using data that comes out of that system, there's a risk that, um, that will propagate into the actual machines that are being trained. So I think it's privy, pretty pivotal for us to understand the language of the future, which is uh, technology and also artificial intelligence, so that we can be in the rooms um, when addressing these data biasing issues. Yeah, the, the way I see it is with the so-called diversity numbers and the demographics uh, at these big tech companies, that if they are creating tools and laying the foundation of how society is going to communicate, how society is going to process information, then if you have systemic white supremacy already kind of built in, that the technology, the algorithms, the oppression would just be transferred to tech. And tech is going to execute uh, and process the future oppression and, 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 and white supremacy. And that's why I think it's so important uh, for our people uh, to, to take this seriously. Yeah, I definitely think that we need to, as a people, um, we need to be a part of the discussion in a serious way, right? It can't just be uh, the buzzwords. It has to be the actual research. It has to be the actual technology. We have to actually have PhD research scientists who understand how these models work, um, understand how data biasing works, and have a, a voice that can be taken seriously in the research community. I think that's very important. So what are you doing now on the artistry front? Are you still performing? Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this year, I've got a couple exciting things going on. I'm working on a TV series. Um, which is super, super You're definitely cool. in the I right place for that. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing. Uh, I'm also uh, releasing an album in June. And I'll be having another one of those big parties that I talked about shortly after that, probably by the end of the summer. And we're also in parallel working on a documentary uh, just about this whole multi-dream concept and about the blend of hip-hop culture and tech culture and, you know, about some of the insights that I've had in my story and things that I hope to share with, with the youth, really. Back in the day, uh, I remember, I believe, uh, Russell Simmons and I think uh, the former leader of the NWCP, uh, Ben Chavis, they put together a hip-hop summit 
uh, where, you know, they talk to a lot of the hip hop artists out there in terms of how we can move the people forward. Uh, if you had the, the rappers of today in a room, you had your, 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 your Drake and Lil Sean, and you had the kind of dominant artists that are out there in a room and you had the mouthpiece to talk to them uh, about moving the culture forward, you know, what type of stuff do you think you would say to them in terms of your unique background and perspective and how you see things playing out in the culture and you had an opportunity to kind of drop some game on them in terms of how we can move this new generation forward? You know, some of the artists I look up to, I believe are doing that. You know, Nipsey Hussle, for example, um, you know, he discovered a kid named uh, Idris Sandu, who's heavily into tech, and he recently did a TED Talk in L.A. Uh, about similar subject matter. And so, you know, he was discovered by a rapper like Nipsey Hussle. Jay-Z, um, you know, I know is doing a lot of things in prison reform and other positive initiatives, which I think is great. For me, I guess if I had them in the room, I would probably lean on the side of, you know, in addition to these great things that we're doing, um, let's try to embed that in the content itself as well. I think a lot of times in our culture, we, we kind of feel pressure to make content that's dumbed down, to kind of sell records and to get streams, um, and then we go off and do a bunch of positive things with the money. But I think it would be great if we could get to a point where the content itself also has shimmers of this positivity um, that can be spread in a big way because people listen to this stuff. And growing up, you know, in these neighborhoods, you know, we listen to what these rappers say and how they say they would handle a situation. And when you're 15, you know, sometimes that can be your default. You know, okay, that's what, that's how I'm going to react in this situation. So I think it's important that not only, you know, we do these positive things, but also, you know, talk about it in the content that's being spread so widely. Net, net, would you say that when you add everything up, the pluses and minuses in hip hop, that hip-hop as a cultural influence dumbs our people down when you add up the pluses and minuses? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I think hip-hop is a reflection uh, more than anything. So I think that, you know, in these communities, these things are happening, right? And these things were happening before hip-hop became super popular, I believe, in the black community. They were already issues um, in poverty and drugs. And so hip-hop was a reflection of that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would be here today if it wasn't for, you know, certain verses I've heard from but, artists I love. Yeah, but that's your individual case. But, you know, couldn't you see that, hey, it's cooler to be more hood. It's cooler to be closer to this culturally. We can agree, right, that the more street you are, the more hood you are in, in, in the culture, that that's more positive. You're going to be endorsed and, and sponsored and not looked at as a a weirdo the closer right. you are to the street so my thinking is people who may like reading in books and school and technology and coding that that is a net negative culturally so you know there's there's forces where people try to to, to be on the more negative spectrum than what they ordinarily would be and of course, the hip hop culture is reinforcing this. To an extent, I think it depends on what your definition of hood is. Um, of course, there are you know there are people that do um, negative actions, right, in our culture and in other cultures. 
But there are also elements of being hood that I look at as very positive character traits, loyalty, um, you know, being able to deal with adversity. You know, I, I actually attribute those things to hood culture as well. So I don't I don't think that for me, one of my biggest pieces is how can you be successful in technology without forfeiting your culture, without saying, OK, because I'm going to do because I can go into Google and absolutely annihilate an algorithmic coding interview. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to dress and speak the same language as the people I grew up around, because I don't believe that those cultures are necessarily mutually exclusive from a policy standpoint. Uh, let's take Kamala Harris or Cory Booker. They come to you. You've been in the game. You're in the tech streets in terms of Apple and Google. You're at these top uh, companies. And they said, look, I want to talk to someone real. I want to talk to someone who came up from the bottom and made it in these kind of elite areas. How would you advise them on kind of moving specifically black America forward uh, in terms of the inequality and kind of the de developments in the economy. If they came to you for advice at a presidential level, where would you kind of direct them on policy? Um, I don't have any ideas when it comes to policy. I do yeah. have ideas when it comes to content and when it comes to the entertainment space. For me, I was heavily moved by a couple movies um, in my childhood that really impacted the way I looked at myself and the way I looked at my future. One of them was Goodwill Hunting. We have a lot of great movies in our culture that tell our story, but I think we're missing some content that can do exactly what we've discussed, which is how do we make this other stuff cool as well. That's an important point. Uh, it sounds like what you're saying is, look, people who are checking for the government to fix a lot of this stuff, you're checking in the wrong place, that the government is not likely to fix what we're looking for. In terms of, in terms of inequality, but hold on, hear me out. It sounds like the big, moving the needle, the big progress is gonna come from media and content where people start look, seeing more people like you uh, and seeing more people who look like them be successful, who have a big wallet, uh, but they're choosing these kind of alternative paths than what they're usually seeing that maybe most of the progress is going to come from kind of taking your goodwill hunting experience and seeing this stuff and being inspired, inspired by this stuff. But how do you scale that? Well, it, it goes both ways. So for me, um, my, what I intend to, to convey here is that my idea would be in the entertainment space, right? But if I were to bring my best friend here who's a UCLA researcher um, on education, he'd have a completely different idea in terms of what we should do with policy. So I think that you need to kind of get a couple people in the room who have different perspectives, you know, somebody from education, somebody from entertainment and technology like myself, and really come up with, like you said, a scalable solution. But I don't, I don't, no, obviously I don't think, you know, just making entertainment can solve the problem and can get enough people in. Um, I think it has to be a bigger, a part of a bigger initiative, um, but it's one idea. One path for black people is, of course, you can get a really good job at a Facebook, Salesforce, uh, Apple, but in terms of our journey here in America, in the problems, the big complex problems associated with our journey uh, in America, how can coding and engineering 
be weaponized outside of the corporate complex where people are building applications and software to solve for some of the biggest problems uh, as it relates to black people in America? Yeah, so I think that innovation, uh, from my perspective, is often the um, act of kind of socializing a language and then applying diversity to that kind of fundamental language such that you have new perspectives that come out of it. Um, you know, there are certain math theorems and certain uh, research that you can't get to the next level without understanding the fundamental paper that preceded it. So a lot of times in research you want to innovate, you can't innovate until you've read the prior art. And I think that in order for us to do what you said, which is to kind of, in addition to having corporate jobs, just also being able to, um, you know, take action ourselves with some of this technology, we have to understand the language. And again, not in the buzzword perspective, but the actual research. Um, you know, if you take a diverse group of people and give them these tools, you know, here's how uh, matrix multiplication is used inside of a machine model. Here's how recurrent neural networks work. And now you have a diverse group of people who have different backgrounds. They can think of all kinds of colorful ideas to use that stuff in a new way. I think that we have a lot of catching up to do in even getting to that point. And I think that that's probably the most um, impactful thing we can do. All right, where can people find your, your music and find you online? You can find me at Brandon Tory, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T-O-R-Y, um, on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and Instagram is my favorite place. Make sure you check Brandon out. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Really let's, enjoyed it. Let's go. Let's go. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarlin Martin on Twitter, and also come check us out at mogulden.com. That's M-O-G-U-L. D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.